The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. The Eye on College Basketball Podcast, presented by Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's. A sub above. Kyle Boone is here with me. He's at home in Oklahoma. I'm in Houston. Hotel room, fresh off set, CBS Sports Network. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel, do that while you're here. Okay, let's get into it. The national semifinals, they're in the books. San Diego State beat Florida Atlantic Saturday night, 72-71 and a Really fun game that Lamont Butler won with a buzzer beater. Then UConn beat Miami 72-59. So the Aztecs and Huskies going to play for the national title Monday night here inside NRG Stadium. UConn opened as a six-point favorite. It was quickly pushed up to seven and a half points. We'll deal with that later. But right now, let's just focus on Saturday night's games in the order that they were played. Game one, San Diego State 72, Florida Atlantic 71. FAU was up. 14 points with 13.38 remaining. Lost the game at the buzzer. Strong jaw. Just your general thoughts on San Diego State's come from behind win that ended Florida Atlantic season. Wild way to start off our Saturday. San Diego State going down by 14 points in the second half, coming back to win at the buzzer. They led for exactly zero seconds in the second half, but. Uh, as the horn sounded, uh, Lamont Butler's go-ahead basket dropped through the net. 72-71 San Diego State. Thought it was an awesome game. Uh, Florida Atlantic looked like it kind of had this thing kind of wrapped up. Uh, San Diego State goes on a run. Their offense kind of gets firing. Matt Bradley had a really good game. He's kind of been up and down of late. Had some big shots down the stretch. And uh, this was this was really impressive from San Diego State. Seems like they've kind of won with their defense for the most part during the NCAA tournament. Their defense really did not show up early in this game. Uh, but down the stretch, they were able to kind of tighten things up. They got some stops. Um, and then, you know, late, late in the game, final 10 seconds, they get a huge defensive stop. Uh, Brian Dutcher decides not to call a timeout. They go live ball up the floor. Lamont Butler takes it up and uh, takes a mid-range shot and wins the game. So, fantastic. Uh, 14 points, largest comeback of this year's NCAA tournament. Uh, Fifth largest comeback in Final Four history, according to NCAA's uh, data. So, uh, pretty wild on the whole, just a crazy way to to start the night. So, listen, the entire game was interesting. Uh, The final seconds, especially so. Uh, Brian Dutcher, as you mentioned, uh, not only decided not to call a timeout on San Diego State's final possession, he made another like big decision in the final seconds, which is to not foul uh, when Florida Atlantic had the ball up a point and there was a 6.2 second differential between the game clock and the shot clock. 
both of his decisions worked out. If I'm being honest, I only agreed with one of the decisions. We were in a group text, uh, all of us who were doing the show with CBS Sports Network during the first game because we all watched it in, in different places. Some of us were inside the stadium. Some of us were um, at the uh, in the green room uh, on the set. Uh, uh, some of us went back to our hotel rooms. But you know whether it was Wally Zerbiak, Adam Zucker, Brent Stover, uh, Steve Lapis, Renee Montgomery, Chris Walker. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Shelvin Mack. We're all in this group text. And in, 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 in that moment, it's like, what would you do here? And it was almost a consensus in the group text. You should foul and extend yeah. the game. Um, I believe Bill Raftery said on the broadcast, he would have extended the game. And it felt like Twitter said, broadly speaking, foul and extend the game. Brian Dutcher decided to play it out. And then Florida Atlantic ultimately calls a timeout, uh, basically inbounds the ball with less than 15 seconds remaining. Again, there's a 6.2 second difference between the game clock and the shot clock. And I thought that was a mistake on San Diego State's side. And then I think Florida Atlantic made a mistake. And that specifically is John L. Davis going early you know that's a common thing you hear in basketball like you you, you can't go too early or he went too early and in this situation I thought he just went too early I went back and watched it a bunch of times and he actually starts to make his drive to the basket with six full seconds left on the shot clock and it was not like he had it lane to the basket his man was with him the entire time a man who, by the way, is three inches taller than him, was with him the entire time. He never got him. He never got by him, never beat him. So it wasn't like, well, I had a lane. I had to take it. He just decided he was taking it. And he starts the drive with six seconds left on the shot clock and misses the, a contested shot. Uh, and, and it allows San Diego State to rebound the ball with nine and a half seconds left. And when they rebound the ball, there's also 3.3 seconds left on the shot clock. Now, there's different ways to attack this situation, but if, if I were Florida Atlantic, what, what, I, what I think I would have done, you're up one point. Remember, this is not a tie game. You're up one. I think I run the shot clock down as far as I can run it down. Like I'm shooting at the buzzer, yeah. and you know what I might be shooting? A long three at the buzzer of the shot clock. Because if it goes in, you're up four, the game's over. If it misses a long rebound, you might get it. Then they got to foul you. And if you don't get it, they get it. But in the scenario I just described, they probably get it with less than five seconds left. Right. Lamont Butler has probably not enough time to get inside the lane to get to the spot where he made that incredible shot. And to be clear, that was awesome. It's a memory forever. It's a highlight forever. That will be the story, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But I would like to get your thoughts on how Florida Atlantic handled that final possession because, man, I think if if Davis doesn't go early and if San Diego State isn't able to start its possession with nearly 10 seconds on the clock, um, we could be talking about Florida Atlantic playing in the national championship game right now. Yeah, we really could. And it feels – I think – it would do San Diego State a disservice to say that Florida Atlantic blew it, but I think given the circumstances, it feels a little bit like Florida Atlantic missed a chance to put this game away strategically. Going late or going too early in this case, I think really kind of changed the complexion of how the end of this game played out. Lamont Butler did a great job, got the rebound, he ran it up the floor, but Brian Dutcher, after the game, he's like, like my lineup was not good. Like I had three big men in there and I had two guards and I told my, my big men basically like go attack the rim because we have really no plan. Lamont, just go try and get downhill and create a shot. Like that was his entire plan. He didn't call a timeout. He expected there would be a live ball action. He was hoping that his defense would make a stop. And they could get down the court in just enough time to make a shot or at least take a shot. And you, you, you subtract those three points or whatever the difference was uh, from shot clock to game clock. 
And yeah, that might be the difference in the game. Had had John L. Davis not gone a little bit too early, uh, it may be the reason why Florida Atlantic is not playing in the championship game. Who knows? Uh, maybe maybe Lamont Butler has a has a heroic shot in him. You know, regardless of of what happens. But yeah, strategically, I think there there's a you could reasonably question kind of the late game execution from Florida Atlantic. Maybe you take a three. Maybe you wait like you should until the end of the shot clock to make it more stressful on San Diego state in the late game situation. Just a lot of questions. If, if you're the owls. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear uh, if it's not clear, I don't, I don't suggest taking a three or even a long three. And by long three, I mean, open three uh, simply because I think that's the best shot. I think that's the best shot to get the, as much time off of the clock as possible. And I was talking to Shelvin Mack and he was like, I wonder if you don't like, even take an unconventional three, like shoot it really high in the air. Like every tick that comes off that clock is is a is a, a tick in your favor. And um, yeah, it, like keep in mind Lamont Butler, even in his in his post game, like he that's not the shot he was looking for. That's the shot he had to take because as he explained it, um. You know, he's he he wanted to get downhill and he just couldn't get where he was trying to get to. Right. And then he noticed, like, there's two seconds left. I've got to shoot this. It was contested. There's somebody in his face. It was a situation where it it what like he works on that shot clearly every day and it looked great. I mean, like it's one of those there were the television angle, you're watching it like with a perfect angle. And it looked good the second it left his hand. Like the moment it left his hand, it was like, okay, this looks good. It might be long. It might be short, but it looks good. And so that is a fabulous, like, again, we will be watching that. If we're lucky enough to be here in 20 years, we'll see that in 20 years. We'll see that for the rest of our lives. And that is the story of the game. But to circle back, he just had to shoot it at the buzzer. And if you've got three less seconds, four less seconds, five less seconds on the clock, when San Diego state rebounds that ball, then I don't even think he gets that shot. He's having to take a shot at the buzzer from a different place and probably a further place. And if it's from a further place, it is a shot that is less likely to go in. I see some people in the comments saying, you know, it worked out though, which is like what I acknowledged that five minutes ago. Of course it worked out. Brian Dutcher made two big decisions in the final seconds and they both worked out. Um, and let me reasonable people like this isn't one where it's definitive. Like you have to foul and extend the game or you're crazy. Like you, you can reasonably play it out the way it did. I just, I don't think I would have preferred it that way. And just because it worked out doesn't mean it was right. It, same uh, as if he would have fouled to extend the game and it didn't work out. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Think of it as a, you're playing blackjack, right? If you've got, uh, 17 and the dealer's got a six, you don't need to hit. You're not supposed to hit that, but you can hit it. And if you hit it and get a four, it's going to work out for you. But that doesn't mean that you made the right decision. And this felt uh, a little bit like that. The second big decision was, Hey, let's just let them play. I'm not going to call that. We got the ball 9.5 seconds left. You can call a timeout right now. I'm not, let's just let them play. I agree with that decision. Yeah. Um, don't let the other team set the defense. Um, get the ball in Butler's hand and let him make a play. And he went out and, and made the play of his life, one of the all-time great plays in NCAA tournament history. And so um, that is the lasting image of this thing. And it, it should also be pointed out, um, like Florida Atlantic missed a lot of layups. Like there's a mm -hmm. lot of places they could have got an extra point somewhere along the way. Um, so – it, 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 you know, it, the, the game wasn't necessarily lost on, on, on that final offensive possession for the Owls, but I, I did think that final offensive possession for the Owls, um, you know, it could have gone different, should have probably gone down differently. Yeah. And then still, even though it went down the way it went down, if Lamont Butler just misses a shot at the buzzer, um, then, then Florida Atlantic advances. It was a, it was a fun game and um, a really incredible ending and, and, and also an interesting ending i like basketball games like that close great endings but they've also got these moments in them where you can sit down and talk about them and go okay what 
what could have gone differently there, what should have gone differently there. Was this the right decision? Was this the wrong decision? That that game, I guess what I'm saying, had everything I enjoy about college basketball games. Yes, agreed. Now, all I can picture right now, GP, is John L. Davis with like 10 seconds left in the game, just shooting like the highest possible shot of all time, <laughs> like straight to the top of Energy Stadium. Like, this is how I'm going to waste eight seconds. Um, well, like, yeah, like, yeah. Again, you could just play it out a million different ways, but the, yeah. the thing Shelvin was suggesting, not exactly this, but like if you run the shot clock all the way down to nothing and throw the ball as high as you can throw it, by the time it comes down, yeah. um, you know, it, it's it, there's not much time left on the clock. And so San Diego State moves on and will play for the national title. Florida Atlantic season is over. And let's focus on that a little bit for just a minute. Because I don't know if you saw Dusty May's uh, locker room speech afterwards. We carried it live on CB. Uh, we carried it on CBS Sports Network um, in our post game show, and he was super duper positive. He was like, "This, you know, this stings. This hurts. He's sick." But he was encouraging in the sense that we need to focus on the big picture. We just had an incredible season, and we can have another incredible season next season because all five of those starters still have eligibility. Everybody on the team except Michael Forrest has eligibility. And I don't know if you saw any of the players talking after the game, but they didn't sound like guys who were interested in even exploring the transfer portal. They were like, we got to get back in the gym and I can't wait to get back with my brothers and try to do this thing again. So Florida Atlantic goes 35 and four after being picked fifth in the conference USA preseason poll. They win their first USA regular season title ever first CUSA tournament title ever first NCAA tournament game ever 15 days ago Florida Atlantic as a program had never won an NCAA tournament game 15 days ago and then they go to the final four and now they can return all five starters every player except for one I will have Florida Atlantic in the preseason top 10 I mean they finished 17th at Ken Palm forget about the name or anything you think about that program or its league affiliation, which, by the way, is changing. They will be in the American next season, and they will be the preseason favorite to win the American next season. So what would you do with a team that finished, if this is all I told you, they finished 17th at Ken Palm, they're bringing back all five starters, and they only lose one meaningful player. What do you do with that team heading into next season? That's a preseason top 10 team, maybe top five. Maybe maybe top two and not number two. Well, I, I think at this point, if we're going to play it out of the most likely scenario, which is UConn winning the national championship, and you know UConn can bring back you know most of that team. I think most. five of the top six scores. Yep. Um, I think all six scores can come back. Jordan Hawkins, as a projected lottery pick, is almost certainly going to be in the NBA draft. But if UConn wins the national championship, brings back five of the top six scores, then enrolls a top five recruiting class with a five star prospect. That's probably your preseason number one. Not to tip yeah. my hand on how the top 25 and one is going to look on Monday night, mm. but I would imagine UConn's number one. Um, Miami's going to be really high. Marquette's going to be really high. Purdue yep. has a chance to be really high. But Florida Atlantic's going to be right there with 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 all of all of those uh, all of those schools. And so, yeah. as I wrote at CBSSports.com, th- this season is over, but the run of success probably isn't Mm -hmm. this team jumped onto the national radar this season it'll start on the national radar next season right 35 wins most in program history had not won an ncaa tournament game uh just over two weeks ago making a run to the final four darn near playing their way into the national championship game and um Everyone loves a good Cinderella story. It, it never really felt like this team was a Cinderella story. They were dominant throughout the Conference USA season. They won the Conference USA tournament. They got into the NCAA tournament and scooted past Memphis and then really kind of acquitted themselves nicely, making a run all the way to the Final Four. Um, Dusty May kind of emerged as one of the, co- one of the young, bright stars in, in college basketball coaching circles. Uh, this this roster is really good. Obviously, they could bring back almost everyone from from this team. And yeah, now you know they they entered last season um, pretty pretty well off the radar, I would say. And now make a run to the Final Four. You have a lot of attention on you after a run to the Final Four. 
and you're going to enter next season with some with some really high expectations and rightfully so there's a lot of respect a lot of attention that will be paid towards this FAU program and uh, good on them it, it feels a little bit kind of like Wichita State uh, you know over the last decade or so where you know mid-major team that that kind of emerges they they make a couple runs in the NCAA tournament suddenly they are you know one of the one of the biggest programs uh, at the mid-major at the mid-major level of of anyone so it's a really interesting, fun story for Florida Atlantic. Their season ends, obviously, but uh, the way that they have played out this season, I think, is really, really impressive. Speaks to kind of what Dusty May has built there in Boca Raton. And this success comes at a perfect time because, as mentioned, they're moving to the American, which is traditionally a multi-bid league. We'll see going forward. But tradition, because like the American is not just adding Florida Atlantic. Um, it's also adding other schools, among them UAB, North Texas, but they're losing Houston. And and that, that's obviously, I don't want to say devastating, but less than ideal. Yep. Um, so we'll see if the American is a multi-bid league going forward, but traditionally it has been a multi-bid league. And I agree with you that this this can be a moment for Florida Atlantic to become the the next Wichita State of the American or if you want to get real crazy, you know, a, 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 a next version that aspires to do what Gonzaga has done mm-hmm. out of the West Coast Conference. But what Gonzaga did a long time ago and what Wichita State did more recently, it's invest. You have to throw money at this thing now. Right. Like you have to – you might not have to pay to keep Dusty May right now, although he will get a, a, a pay raise, obviously. But if he continues to win, you will have to pay to keep him. And you will have to invest to keep him. Gonzaga decided a long time ago after it lost Dan Munson, we don't want to be a stepping stone program. We want to be a place where our coaches don't want to leave. And they became that. But how did they become that? By building facilities, by investing in the program, and by not making it about money for Mark Few. If you want to go coach somewhere else, go coach somewhere else. But it won't be about money. It won't be about facilities. It won't be about um potential within the program so Florida Atlantic has got to make that decision as an administration uh, right now and there's a lot of indications that they are going to 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 invest more than they've literally ever invested in the sport but Mm -hmm. but that's what it will take this team was good next season's team will likely be good but if you want to continue to have a good program that's not something Dusty May can do by himself that is something the administration has to help him with and and, and, and I hope that they do. So the San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, incredible Final Four game. Unbelievable. Drama, big shot, whole deal. The second semifinal, not so much. We'll get the UConn-Miami next, but first a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the second national semifinal, UConn 72, Miami 59. That's five straight double-digit wins in this tournament for Dan Hurley's Huskies. UConn led by 20, won by 12. What'd you make, strong jaw, of UConn's latest fairly easy victory? Yeah, not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, UConn minus five and a half was, uh, was definitely, definitely the move. UConn has separated itself to me. Um, over the last few weeks as I think clearly the best team in college basketball. And, you know, they, they came into Saturday, four straight wins of, of 15 or more points. Miami had some runs in the second half. They cut it to single digits, but this was never really in doubt. UConn just kind of controlled this game. They led wire to wire, 
had a strong start. Adam Adama Sanogo had two threes in the opening few minutes. Um, Andre Jackson had foul trouble, um, and it still didn't really matter. Uh, Jordan Hawkins battling apparent illness still didn't matter. Um, Sanogo was awesome. And I, I think that was kind of the story tonight. 21 points, 10 rebounds. Um, had a pair of blocks, put the no-go in Sanogo, as they would <laughs> say. You see what I did there? I did. Um, Donovan Klingon was really good uh, down low. I mean, this this Miami team, when they were – when they were driving to the basket, they looked they look scared. They were like seeing ghosts, Sam Darnold style. Um, and with good reason. I mean, the, the rim protection that this UConn team has, the length that they have was really impressive. And then Dan Hurley after the game just saying like, yeah, our, our defense, I thought we did a good job defending. Uh, we really threw them off of their rhythm. This was the lowest point total for Miami the entire season a Miami team that has really kind of hung its hat on offense. And uh, yeah, like this Miami team, this floor, this UConn team, excuse me, can win in a number of different ways. We we've seen them, you know, win in shootouts, but to win this way uh, by really putting on a defensive clinic against, I think probably one of the best remaining offensive teams I thought was really impressive. They were terrific. And I mean, to do it under these circumstances, Jordan Hawkins played, but not particularly well after missing practice on Friday with a non-COVID illness. Uh, Andre Jackson had foul trouble and was limited to just uh, 22 minutes. And yet UConn still like was up 20 on the ACC champs. And one by 12, five straight double digit victories they've got a chance to to do what 2018 Villanova did which is win all six games in the NCAA tournament by by double digits and I tell you I was around this team on Friday because we had the four-hour practice show on CBS Sports Network and for some of that I was on the outside set but for the UConn hour I was the on-court reporter I guess and so you know, I did an on-the-court interview with uh, Bob Hurley Sr., the the legendary Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coach, who, of course, is Danny's dad. Um, he was awesome. Um, and and I was just sort of a, around them, like, for an hour, like, on the court. I talked to Danny for a little bit, said hello to Luke Murray. And they were loose, boy. I mean, they seemed really confident, but not arrogant, but confident so much that they seemed unconcerned even about Jordan Hawkins. And I don't mean unconcerned specifically about Jordan Hawkins. Like uh, when I talked to people connected to the program in that hour, they were like, he's really sick. You know, if he weren't sick, he'd be here. This is a dream for basketball players to go to the final four to participate in these pregame press conferences, to go through the um, big practice, open practice in the stadium to with the fans there and Jim Nance there. Like, like Jordan Hawkins wanted to be there. He hated to miss it, but he was sick. And one of the things, you know, that I was told was they had three doctors and two trainers with them. Like, and it was their job to get him ready to play. <laughs> and even when knowing that their best pl- their best NBA prospect and one of their top two players, even while knowing he's sick, he may not play, and even if he does play, well, how is he going to feel, look, all of that stuff? Because one of the points Renee Montgomery made, UConn legend, national champion, she said, even if you're – well enough to play once you've been sick like that for 24 hours or 36 hours. She said, as a basketball player who's gone through that, I can tell you um, your core is just gone. You don't have anything. And if you saw Dan Hurley's interview with Tracy Wolfson at halftime, she said, how is Jordan Hawkins? He said, he's just, he's, he's got nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. out there. He's, he wants to be out there. He's fighting, but he ain't got anything. There's nothing there for him to pull from. And it just didn't matter. They still controlled the game basically from start to finish. They are super impressive, man. 
and their uh, uh, um, adjusted efficiency margin is now obviously number one at Ken Palm. It's been there for a little while now, but it's up to plus 29.30. And I know without context, that means nothing to nobody. But just remember that that, that Kansas team last season that won the national title, finished 34 and six. Their efficiency margin was plus 27.49. Wow. Right now, UConn's plus 29.30. It's better. So this is a four seed because they went two and six in an eight-game stretch in late December and January. But this has been one of the best teams in the country all season in the predictive metrics, top six at Ken Palm since December 1st. And boy, have they they looked the part. I thought it was striking Earlier in this tournament, after they beat Arkansas by double digits, Eric Musselman said, man, their their pieces really fit the, together well. I mean, they got everything you need. You know, they got great guards. They've got a small forward who can pass and really make plays. They're big up front. They've got two centers that can dominate you and overwhelm you. Like, they're, 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 they're top 10 in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're top 10 in adjusted defensive. They check every box of what you want a, a national champion to look like and it's why they are now a significant favorite on monday night to be national champions crazy yep yukon by the way <clears throat> improves the 16 and 0 versus teams outside of the big east this season 72 59 win over miami uh was interesting dan hurley talking about kind of the style that this team can play uh talking about body blows and uh, the cumulative effect that this UConn team kind of had on Miami. I thought that was kind of interesting because he mentioned body blows several times. So um, I don't feel like this is the most physical UConn team, but the way they play, the style in which they play um, on both ends of the floor, I I think can really grind teams down. And Miami obviously had a terrible time with that. Um, I've got a trivia time for you, GP. Okay, let's go. Strong jaw. Okay, strong job. From CBS Sports here, uh, Adama Sanogo is the fifth player all-time to average at least 20 points, nine rebounds, and shoot 65% from the field entering a national championship game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who, are, who are the previous five? Okay, I'll go Bill Walton. <laughs> That's, no. Really, Bill Walton's not one. No, there's a bill on the list, though. There's a bill on the list. Mm-hmm. Bill Russell? That's right. San okay. Francisco, 1955. Rest in peace to the legend. That's right. Almost lost my wife to Bill Russell one night. What? Same night you met <laughs> Jay Wright at the club? No, 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 no. <laughs> a quick story. I think I've told it probably before, probably seven times. Uh, we're at a charity event. In, out in LA a long time ago and uh, my wife it was like a small little room but there were like significant like you know celebrities there like Denzel Washington was there it was that type of thing and uh, my wife goes to the bathroom and she's gone for uh, you know it, it gone long enough to where I go I wonder if she's okay whatever and about that time she shows up and, uh, and I'm like where you been she said oh I was coming out of the bathroom and I got stopped by this the nicest the nicest old man he was just really sweet and he would he asked me my name and I started talking to him and he was just really sweet and uh, that, you know, just a, a sweet old man. And I said, uh, who? And she said, I don't know his, I don't know his name. It's, it's uh, maybe Bill or something. He's right there. And she points and I'm like, Bill Russell. She's like, yeah, I guess. Is that Bill Russell? And I was like, yes, that's Bill Russell. And she was like, who's Bill Russell? I was like, come on. <laughs> that's, that's a true story. That's a true story. So, Rest in peace to that legend. Back to trivia time. Yes. Okay, Bill Russell. Yep, you got I it. I really have uh, Tyler Hansborough, maybe, I guess. No, that's a good guess. One of them played for um, the second greatest coach in UCLA history. Okay, so is, would Lou Alcindor be there? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. No. Lou Alcindor. No. No. Sydney Wicks. It, it, part of trivia time is knowing what the answers are, strong jaw. <laughs> Sydney Wicks in 1970. Okay, I would not have guessed that name. Yeah. Akeem Olajuwon. Okay, Akeem, that makes sense. <sighs> yeah. Oh, Patrick Jerry- Ewing, maybe? Patrick Ewing? No, great guesses, though. Uh, Jerry Lucas, 1961. Okay. I would not have gotten any of this. I, I could have maybe Sinoco. guessed Bill Russell at some point. but You guessed more I would, than I would have. Good yeah, job. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have got the uh, the rest <laughs> of them. So, um, 
the, hey, you know, Miami it, it, season is over, but first Final Four in school history, and like a lot of that team can come back too. And so it, it's because of name, image, and likeness, and the extra COVID year. There's a whole lot of things that are playing into this. Mm-hmm. But I'm just telling you, when you see the top 25 on Monday night, a lot of it is going to look like the teams that were good this season, because a lot of these teams can bring can reasonably bring most of of their team back because like at Florida Atlantic with all due respect those guys aren't really NBA prospects so you know where where are you going and at Miami you know some of Miami's best players are not really ideal um, NBA prospects so uh, I don't know that the Hurricanes will be back in a final four next season obviously the randomness of the tournament makes that uh, very difficult to project but when you start the the season, um, I bet they'll have a single digit next to their name, barring um, some surprising roster developments. But keep in mind, the same way Miami was able to go out and get uh, Nigel Pack, the Cavender Twins, you know, they've got money to spend in a in 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 a, in a well documented way. So even if they were to lose a player here or there that they wouldn't like to lose. Uh, you would assume that they'll be active in the transfer portal again because um, they know how that stuff works. And by the way, Nigel Pack, uh, his shoe. What are we doing? What are we doing? Like, how you got four hundred thousand dollars in a car from Life Wallet, but not an extra set of shoes somewhere inside the stadium? It's a tough look for. Like Life right Wallet. now, like yeah. I travel, I have extra everything like i have if the if for some reason i lost my ifbs i got another one um like little adapters i travel with with multiple just so if i get somewhere and i forgot something or i broke some there are things i keep in my travel bag like i i have in my little bag that a computer bag that i travel with carry with me everywhere like extra toothbrush toothpaste deodorant just in case ever my check bags my flight gets canceled after i've already checked my bag and i gotta go get a hotel but i don't get my luggage but i still have toothpaste and deodorant and that kind of stuff like i I, how do i prepare more for unfortunate (laughs) situations on the road (laughs) than nigel pack did for the possibility that he might need another shoe in the final four then they got this poor guy running to the back and i don't know how many of you have had an opportunity to walk from a final four court to the back? But that's a walk, bro. That's a real walk. Like you got to, you're getting your steps in. And so you got the, you got Nigel Pack sidelined and like some guy running around trying to get him shoes. And I was, I was watching this game in the green room next to our set with Shelvin Mack and his wife, Shelvin Mack, of course, former NBA player, Butler legend, played in multiple national championship games. And I was like, how, cause I don't know. I've never even thought about this. And I said, how, how common is that to like not have an extra set of shoes at the place where you're playing? He said in the NBA, that would never happen. You have three extra pairs of shoes for every get and socks and every, like you, there is no scenario where an NBA player would ever be without shoes looking for shoes. It just would not happen. He said in college, yeah, that could happen. He said it's not, it, you know, it's it's not. It it looks crazy that it's happening, but like he he certainly suggested there were times in his college career where if he'd have blown a shoe, he'd have had to probably borrow shoes from somebody else. And we were sort of joking, like if you're Miami, because I believe somebody brought out a set of shoes they didn't fit, so they had to go find some more shoes. And yes. it, like like Shelvin was like, dude, at some point, don't you just take somebody else's shoes if you're Nigel Pack? Like, yo. You at the end of the bench who averages 2.2 points per game, you got to give me your shoes. I got to go play basketball. But that was um, of a game that was in a game that was mostly uninteresting. That was um, that was among the interesting, funny, weird things that happened. Yes, the guy, the student manager, just take full sprint with a broken shoe in his hand, sprinting (laughs) to the locker room. Sprints back and CBS love him. Have the camera just like panning this guy as he's coming back he like delivers the shoe to nigel pack pack just kind of inspects it and then he just like 
hands it back and he's like, that's not, like that's, <laughs> these will not that's the, these will not do go go run yeah. another two miles and bring me proper shoes and then he does it and he does they get the cameras he goes back to the locker room comes back finally the shoes apparently fit he, he checks back into the game but yeah wild wildly entertaining uh sequence maybe the most entertaining thing in that game What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. So uh, Matt Norlander and I are going to be doing a, another podcast, like in less than 12 hours. We will be doing another Ion College Basketball podcast live from here in Houston on our CBS Sports HQ set. So you'll be able to consume it in all the ways that you consume the podcast normally on YouTube, but also on CBS Sports HQ. It'll be an hour long show on CBS Sports HQ set to start at noon central 1 p.m. Eastern. At that point, he and I will preview uh, the national championship game. But because you and I, Strongjaw, will not talk again before that game tips off, I would like to get your thoughts on the national title game. It's UConn, San Diego State. Like I mentioned earlier, UConn to open as a six-point favorite as of this moment, which is uh, – Woo! Two o two Eastern. UConn is a seven and a half point favorite. Just your thoughts on on what you expect from Monday night? Yeah, I feel like that line is a little low. Um, the way UConn has played <clears throat> throughout the NCAA tournament, the way they played tonight against Miami, uh, this team has the inside out balance, the stylistic fit. Um, the pieces uh, both inside and out that I think is going to be too much for San Diego state. Um, San Diego state's been really impressive though. This is uh, this is one of the best three point defenses in college basketball. One of the best defenses period in college basketball. So I do think that this Aztecs team will be able to provide some resistance. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's Sonogo inside, Klingon inside is going to be a really difficult matchup for this San Diego State team. But the San Diego State team is is very physical. That's kind of how they hang their hat. This is kind of like a Houston-esque type of roster in the way that they are able to win in advance. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd probably take UConn minus seven, seven and a half, just the way that they played. But uh, if this is a close game, wouldn't surprise me. My pick will be UConn. Yeah. Um, UConn should, in less than 48 hours from this moment, be national champions. Dan Hurley should be a national championship coach. Um, but I'm, I stopped short a little bit of already crowning them. Yeah. Because I know San Diego State doesn't play what is typically considered um, a beautiful brand of basketball. Although it is worth noting, you know, people are like coming into this game. Well, yeah, you know, San Diego State, they're, they're going to try to beat you in the 60s, maybe even the 50s. You know, you you probably can't get to the 70s against them. But if you get to the 70s against them, well, then they're going to have a hard time. Well, like, you know, they went out and scored 72 points and they, they beat a Florida Atlantic team that that, again, was 35 and three heading into the game. Uh, I'll keep this simple. I, I think UConn wins the game. But San Diego State already eliminated the number one overall seed in this bracket, yep. Alabama. So the idea that they can't beat UConn, I don't buy that at all. I don't think they will because you got to pick one team and I'll pick the Huskies. But they can win this, um, it, although it does maybe feel a little bit um, about a, a memory I have from the 2009 NCAA tournament. We're heading into the championship game and it was North Carolina, Michigan State. And Tom Izzo was talking about it. And I don't remember exactly the way he put it, but it's the Sunday before the game, the same press conferences we'll have later this Sunday. And he said something along the lines of 
North Carolina is better than us. They have better, they're a better team. They have a better coach. And I don't know if he believed all this stuff. He was just making the point. I don't, I just, I, I don't think you can say they have a better team without also saying they have a better coach. Otherwise, it looks like, hey, I'm not the problem here. So he said they have a better team. Um, they have a better coach. And if they play well, they'll beat us. But we're pretty good at making people not play well. And we don't have to beat them four times in seven games. We have to beat them one time in a 40-minute game. And so we're going to go out and hope we play well and hope we make them not play well. And, and if we win a national champion, that'll probably have to be the way it goes. Like, they can't play well and we play well and we win. Because if they play well, we lose. But we're going to try to play well and make them play not so well, and we'll see. And then, of course, North Carolina went out and won the game 89-72, right? But I think the general points Tom was making heading into that game are the same type of points Brian Dutcher could make heading into this game. I don't think he'll make them quite that way. I don't think you're going to hear Brian Dutcher say they're a better team than us. Um, but but I, that's the way I feel going into this. If UConn plays well, UConn will win. But San Diego State has already made the number one overall seed Alabama not play well and beat them why they didn't play well. So that that is the recipe uh, to this thing. And I hope we get a competitive game on Monday night because when you watch what we had Friday night in the women's tournament with sure. Iowa, South Carolina, which was amazing, awesome. Like we went to the Astros game, Astros-White Sox game on Friday night, and then we settled into a bar near Minute Maid Park to watch the fourth quarter of Iowa, South Carolina. And it was on every TV in the bar and everybody was into it. I mean, it was like, and you saw the ratings, like they, I think they averaged 6 million viewers. I mean, it was massive, right? And part of what made that awesome is that it was a fun game that was still in the balance in the final minutes, final seconds, final minute. And then we had that first national semifinal, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic. And it was awesome because it was in up for grabs literally until the final sat horn. And then we didn't have that really in the second semifinal, and it's a little less interesting. I hope we get a competitive game. I hope we get a, a close game. And I'm thrilled that San Diego State is in this position after, you know, having that 30-2 and two season end in 2020 the way it ended. Yeah. Obviously, nobody got a shot to win the national championship in 2020 because that tournament was canceled. But not everybody would have had a shot, a real shot, to win it had we played it. But San Diego State's one of the teams that would have. And I remember making this point about San Diego State and Dayton back then. Like, okay, Kansas was going to be a one seed, and they lost the opportunity to play that out. But, like, Kansas is always going to have an opportunity to win a national championship. It's Kansas. Same goes for Duke and Gonzaga and you name it. For San Diego State and Dayton in that year, you wonder, like, will they ever be in this good of a position again to make a Final Four to win a national title? And here we are just three years later, and San Diego State is in the national title game as a five seed. It's a tremendous story. They've only lost once since February first. You know, we we made a a, 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 a paid a lot of attention to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic's thirty five and three. Well, San Diego State's mm -hmm. now thirty two and six. It's a good basketball team, and obviously an elite defensive basketball team. Um, but but they are a significant underdog, and most people expect them to lose. Um, pretty uh, convincingly, which is the reason the point spread has already moved in the direction it's moved. So um, I, I just hope we get a, a, a good game, um, and um, I won't be surprised if we do. How's our Owly fans doing? How's what? How's our Owly, Owly fans doing? You know what? Can we retire yet? I don't think we can retire yet. I don't, I don't, we got to get our Alley fans account off the, off the ground. That seems like an off season project, you know, right now we're yeah. kind of in the middle of it. I'm doing television shows and writing columns and podcasts and kind of in the middle. I'm a little, little too consumed right now to continue to pursue our Alley fans account, but we'll get there. Got a, got a long off season, just two days away. Strong jaw. We got a, we got a long off season, just two days away. Love it. Hey, man, I know how um, not fun it is sitting around waiting 
for me to get offset while you're at home. I mean, it's uh, it's where you live. You're in the central time zone, just like I'm in the central time zone right now. So it's one ten as opposed to two ten Eastern. But still, um, I know that's not fun. So I appreciate you being here, staying up for me, and uh, I owe you forever. Anything for you. Anything. You're for the you, best, Jay. strong jaw. Shouts to David Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening, watching the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify over at Apple. Leave a nice review. Five stars. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. That needs to be reflected in the comments. Absolutely. Obviously, when you're in a Final Four, you bump into a lot of coaches and stuff. Had a prominent coach uh walk up to me the other uh, the other day he said gp smash it like you're Brandon davies <laughs> <laughs> and it's just not the word you expect to ever hear out of somebody's mouth you know there's more of us there is though that's a fact and i'm glad people that it, and I'm, I'm glad that i'm glad that people have come around on that it was controversial when i first started this movement in favor of premarital sex but i feel like not only am I on the right side of history, I'm uh, I'm now in the majority, and I feel like I always was. Just yeah. more now socially acceptable. Thank you guys for staying up late. Not just Strong Jaw, but all of you here live. And uh, if you happen to be in uh, Houston, uh, Matt Norlander and I will be doing a live podcast at noon central. Nada, can you turn your mic on and tell people where it is? Because I have no idea. And I've got to be there at some point soon and i have no idea where it's yes. at so why don't you fill people in tell me where it's at and and then everybody else we can are, listen in as well we are at the fan fest at the george r brown convention center um we are going to be there as you said 12 noon central time and we're going to have a live podcast on cbs cbs sports hq that's all i know at this point but be there at the george r brown convention center you'll be able to find us very very easily all right, cool. I'm going to punch that into my phone right now. <laughs> now I'll see the rest of you when I see the rest of you. Everybody have a good night. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.